gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe, is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, this is Colleen from Theology Gals. Before we get to this week's episode, I wanted to mention that at the end of this episode, we share that we are releasing a series of books. And we had hoped that those books would be available when this episode came out. But they're not quite ready. But Lord willing, they will be in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we'll talk more about it at the end of this episode, but we are releasing some sermon notes, notebooks for children and adults, some Bible reading plan journals, and some catechism memory books for children. So as soon as they are released... We will announce on our social media. If you're in the group, we'll announce it there, I'm sure. And we will let you know on the podcast when those are available. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host. And we are continuing our series on the church. And, you know, Rachel and I had a lot of things that we wanted to discuss, and we really realized that a lot of it fell under this heading of the church, so we decided this would be a good time to do a little series. And I know I know a lot of times what topics that people are interested in by the questions that come in the group, um, especially the common questions. And today we're going to deal with uh, parenting in the pews because parenting in the pews is a, a very popular topic of discussion, I know, in the Facebook group and I think in general. And I think also... Uh, I know in our Facebook group, and I think also among our listeners, we have a lot of younger parents trying to navigate these things. And so when I was planning this episode, I thought it would be good to start with kind of parenting in general, because I think before we even get to the parenting in the pews, having a good kind of um, framework for how we approach parenting is good. And Rachel, I know you know this, but you and I have seen in our years of parenting, because you've been a parent, you know, it's going to be 20 years soon that you've been a parent, over 20 years for me. So we've seen a lot in the Christian circles, and we've seen some not so great parenting (laughs) methods. And uh, I know one of them, and I don't even know how popular it is anymore, although I do see it around, but it was very popular when our kids were young. And that is Debbie and Michael Pearl's book, To Train Up a Child. And I know you you know a lot about it. I actually read the book probably when my son was four years old. There's a lot about theology in it. So I, I call that all law, no grace parenting. Um, and it's just one example of that. But maybe you could talk about some of the issues with that with the pearls book yeah um it's interesting when when you first get pregnant or you're pregnant with your first baby or you have your first child home and you know you're you're inundated with advice about parenting right that's everyone has advice to give good or bad and you know all of us want to be good parents so we start looking at various um resources we um 
of course, now we, we go on Facebook groups and ask questions. And, you know, so we're all looking for information. And, and yes, you're right. I don't know how much the pearls are, are still influencing young parents. Um, it was certainly still popular when my kids were smaller. But um, there have been a lot of concerns about the pearls. One of the things that I've seen uh, that happening in the last 10 years is that there have been some uh, criminal cases and lawsuits and things associated with um, children who have died or children who have been abused and mistreated and connections to them using methods from the pearls. What I found when I was reading about the pearls is they have some very particular ideas besides what people know um, that people have read about what has gotten the most attention from the pearls are their controversial discipline methods, which include spanking or the use of a, of a rod to spank even very, very small children. And um, I think they recommend using like quarter inch tubing. It, it's very interesting and very disturbing. I don't recommend. Yeah. For very young before. children. I was reading today because I don't remember. It's like infants. Yes. I was reading today a, in preparation for this, a, um, a kind of question answer um, forum online, and somebody was saying that they recommend um, doing that with your three month old when they cry when you put them to sleep. And I was right. horrified. <laughs> and rightly so. It, it, it is horrific, right? But the reason that they believe that is what's most disturbing to me, and it has to do with what they believe about children. And what they believe is that children, even from you know, like the day they're born, that children are born emotionally manipulative. And so every time your baby is crying, if they are not, if they don't have an actual need of physical needs, like they're not hungry, they're not dirty, they're not sick, then they are they are trying to manipulate parents into picking them up or doing something different, right? And there's a quote they they wrote something called the Infant Manifesto. And it's supposed to be from the perspective of a small child. So it's this is a quote from the Pearls. I started lying from day one. I'm ashamed of it now, but I made my sweet mother think I was hurting or cold when all I wanted was to be held close. I soon learned that I could make her believe that I was hungry when I was not. Now, first off, all of us who are are Christians, who, especially those who are Reformed, we all believe that our children are born with uh, a sin nature, right? Or they're born sinners. However, it's not the right attitude to have towards our children to assume that everything that they're doing is manipulative and it's everything that they're doing is sinful. And I need to try to discipline that out of them as my main interaction with my children. Right, that's a very antagonistic way of viewing parenting. On the and in addition to that, what's sinful or wrong with a child wanting to be picked up if the emotional need that they have is they want to be held? Right, we all have those needs. I don't like to be alone. Uh, I have never liked to to sleep by myself. Um, so, yeah, I used to get up in the night and go find my parents. Uh, my children have come found me most nights until they were old enough to be sent back to bed and told that they could stay in their rooms. Uh, but what's wrong with children having emotional needs that we should meet as parents? Right? I, don't, I don't understand this attitude towards children. And, it's very, and that's where I think the, most, the biggest danger is in the way the pearls are teaching people to, um, to parent their children. Yeah, and I think it's important to note, too, that the pearls have awful theology. It, it's interesting right. what they teach about that when they actually deny original sin. Um, <laughs> right. And then believe in some sort exactly. of Wesleyan perfectionism. I saw Michael Pearl say that Arminianism was too Calvinistic for him. So, they're on the very other extreme. This is this is based in, in bad things bad theology, but I'm thinking about the episode we did just last week with Lori talking about touch and our need for touch. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I was like you, I used to, when my sister and I weren't sharing a room anymore, I'd still go crawl in her bed in the middle of the night just so I could be near my sister. And, or I'd mm -hmm. crawl in my parents' bed prior to that. And, you know, um, because I wanted to be near somebody, because I just desired to be close and near somebody that loved me and somebody that I loved. And I, it, 
I can't even imagine. And another parenting um, program that was so popular uh, in the mid-90s when I had my first child was, um, a lot of people will know it by the name Growing Kids God's Way. And they, they had a one for, uh, for when you had little babies called Preparation for Parenting. And all my friends were using it. And just from observation, it, something seemed very wrong with it. Then, but even, so both the infant program, and a lot of people have now said that it was an awful, awful program. And there was horrible, horrible theology in it. Just awful. And just even some of the things for when kids are older, it, it's still this heavy law and not being able to demonstrate kind of a law gospel paradigm with your children. And, and what is the goal in those sorts of parenting? It's to make sure our kids are doing everything right. It's not really discipling them and dealing with their hearts and the sorts of things that we should be focusing on. Well, it also um, focuses, from what I've seen, around trying to keep our children from being an inconvenience to our schedules and our lives, which is a simplification, probably an oversimplification of, of a lot of it. But this idea that, you know, yeah, I, I agree that our children need to learn that they're not the center of the universe, right? But that doesn't mean that, that parents are the center of the universe either, right? We're not the ones, even though we are parents and we are the ones who are in charge of our homes, you know, as we've talked before in other episodes about leadership, what that means is that we lead in serving, right? So we serve our children and take care of their needs. And that's a right and appropriate thing for us. And so if that means that, you know, when our, our child cries, that we get up with them in the night and we care for them, even though we're sacrificing our own sleep, that's an appropriate response as parents. That's not something that our children are doing to manipulate us, or it's not our children learning that they can get their way. You know, that's that's just caring for the needs of another. Right. I was I was thinking about that, Rachel. Is that parenting does have a sacrificial element to it? Being a mom has a sacrificial element. You know, when you're breastfeeding your newborn baby, you don't always want to get up at three in the morning to go nurse your baby because you're so tired. But um, but you love your child and you're serving them and sacrificing for them for their good. Absolutely. And one of the things that I find fascinating is I've read a lot of the science. They've really learned a lot. It's even in the last 20 years uh, about babies and uh, how our interactions with parents and babies have long-term effects. Um, there's things like failure to thrive that um, has come from some of these overly uh, legalistic parenting. Um, so that, that's, if you don't know what that is, it's a baby that's, that's failing to gain weight appropriately. Or um, even long-term, there was even one study that showed long-term trust issues. Because if you, if you ever read about like orphanages in some of these countries where they're overwhelmed with babies in these orphanages, the babies will, will even just stop crying altogether. They'll just lay there because, and a lot of these babies have attachment disorder because they've learned it, it's not going to do anything. No one's coming. Yeah. And so even from a scientific perspective, we, we know a lot about the importance of answering our children's cries. And now that doesn't mean when your two-year-old is throwing a temper tantrum, you do for them exactly what they need. That's not what we're talking about. But a little baby is crying. That's the only way they can communicate with us that something is wrong. I mean, they may have a dirty diaper or hungry, or uh, maybe there's a tag sticking into their skin from their pajamas, you know. Or they're scared and they had a nightmare. Yes. They just want reassurance that you're there. I mean, there's, there's so many things. Um, and one of the things that I, um, I realized as a parent pretty early on is that what did I want my children to learn from my, their interactions with me, right? And, you know, my dad's a pastor. I have a good relationship with my parents, and I'm very thankful for that. But one of the things that my dad taught me um, as I was growing up is that children are going to associate their relationship 
with their parents to their relationship with God, um, for good or for ill. And so, when we think about that as parents and as Christians, what lessons do I want my children to learn from me? And so, for example, if I train my children and discipline them to obey me out of fear, but I'm never concerned, I'm not concerned about what's going on in their hearts, for example, what are they going to learn about God from me? Or if I make sure my children, quote, know their place in the home, what are they going to learn from me? If my children cry in the night for me and I don't come, right, what what do they learn from that? And I'm not trying to put guilt on you. It's my own thoughts as a mother, like, what are my children learning from me and how I'm interacting with them? Um, on the other hand, if I, if I love my children and teach them to have soft hearts, a willing spirit, you know, what do they learn from that? If I show them sacrifice and compassion, what do they learn? But I think it's important that we are willing to show the children the very grace that we receive, because if we don't, what are they learning from us? Yeah, amen. Amen to that. You know, I think one of the things that I've seen that's happened is some of the people that were parented in the 90s with some of these very heavy law legalistic parenting methods, they recognize the problems with them and they're looking for, I need something different. And as we've talked about before, sometimes we can overcorrect and, uh, and there's sometimes a more extreme version that's more of a permissive parenting. Well, I'm not going to discipline my children at all. I'm not going to um, do, you know, anything like that. And, and that's not what we're saying either. I think we've even seen that. I was, I was reading an article, a more recent article, that that's some of what's happened just in society in general, not just in Christian circles, where we have a lot of parents that have really just been very, very permissive just let their kids, you know, do whatever they want. They'll they'll learn to suffer the consequences um, of of whatever. And so I think we have to have one thing that I became convinced of is the same kind of law gospel paradigm that we see throughout all of Scripture is something that we can implement in our parenting. You were talking about you know, the reasons for why we give our children boundaries and rules, and I like to think in terms of and I, and I did this with my kids when they would disobey, in, in what the purpose of the law in our lives is, and also um, remembering that in the purpose of the law in my children's lives, that they should know that they are sinners, but they should also know that they need Jesus. And I, I used to, when my kids would disobey, I, I would say, you know, when you disobey, does it change how much I love you? No. You know, and then I would go over the gospel with them and just make sure that they understood the gospel um, throughout. And so I think it's good, you know, as, as we're going to get into parenting in the pews, I think it's good to remember that. Um, Rachel, Rachel has a few articles I'm going to link in the episode notes, and they're just very excellent. And one of the things you talk about, Rachel, is, is that very thing of... Um, our motivation for disciplining our children. And, you know, sometimes Rachel and I were talking before we started, and I myself struggled with sometimes disciplining my children because of my own pride. So if, you know, we're out at homeschool co-op or, or anywhere at public, you know, if I don't discipline them in the way that everyone else thinks is appropriate right now, then people are going to think I'm not a good parent, you know, or I disciplined them because I was annoyed instead of remembering that the Lord's given me these children. Yeah, I think you're right, Colleen. There's a, a really good quote that I remember reading years ago that, that's kind of stuck with me. Um, it says, uh, remember, you're not managing an inconvenience, you're raising a human being. And it's one of those things that it's really easy to be frustrated with our kids because they're kids and we're fallen sinners just like they are, and so we're going to get irritated and frustrated. But it's also embarrassing to have our kids act out in public. We've all been there. Um, and we're like, why can't you at least behave um, in public so that people don't think poorly of me? Um, one of the funniest stories, and my mom loves this story, so she doesn't mind me telling it. Um, you know, we were a pastor's family, and so we were at church 
all the time, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night. And Wednesday, especially during the school year, was just really, really, really long days. Just go from school to homework to church to home, and it was really long. So every now and then there would be a reprieve and we wouldn't have to go. And those were great evenings. And so we were at one of those evenings. We thought we weren't going to have to go. My mom was with us and something happened and she had to take us to church that evening. And I know we were being awful about it. Um, absolutely awful. And I remember her, she's locking the front door and she looked at us and said, now we have to go to church and I want y'all to behave like the good little children everyone thinks you are. And I remember being just shocked that she would say that, right? Like, how would, why would you say this to us, right? And look, as a mother, I understand exactly. She was just as frustrated as we are about having to go in. It was not fun and we weren't making it easier for her. And um, <laughs> it was just really funny. Um, so we tease her about that, that we need to behave like the good little children. She just there. said out loud what um, so many of us moms have probably thought. I know it was perfect, and I'm like, it, it's just the perfect comment, and <laughs> I love her for it. It was a great, it was a great comment. Um, but one of the things I've had, and to t- tell myself and remind myself of in different in difficult seasons, especially with small children and discipline, and and if you talk about this parenting in the pews when you're dealing with teaching your children to worship with you. Dealing with those issues are not inconveniences. They are not uh, distractions from what you really want to be or should be doing. They are exactly where you're called to be at that moment, right? So when I was able to, to remind myself of that and to, you know, get my focus around my priorities of taking care of my children in this way is exactly where I need to be right now. And they're not keeping me from the thing that I really want to do. Um, then it helped me help them, not out of frustration, but out of an actual concern for them and their behavior and their, um, their own relationship with the Lord. You have a really great quote, in one of the articles we're going to link. Uh, and it's just, it's a, it's good. It says, basically, it's not enough for me to be concerned with the outward behavior of my children. I'm not training them like I would a dog to sit, heal, and stay. Although those can be important lessons, too. That right there, that's what I kind of feel like with some of those really law-heavy parenting, where now you're training your children. I think the Pearl stuff is very much like that. Now you're training your children just like you'd train your dog. You know, they even, in the Pearl's book, they they use a parallel with training animals. But then you go on to say, I'm trying to reach their hearts. I want them to listen to me because they love me and because we have a relationship. I don't want them to obey just to keep from being in trouble. That's the other thing is we don't want our children to obey only out of fear. Now, Now, sometimes, yeah, I'm not going to go and do this thing. Because I know that there will be consequences if I get caught, there, there is going to be some of that. That rules us in society. I'm not going to speed because I don't want to be pulled over and get a ticket. Um, but we don't want them to live this life of fear of us, an unhealthy fear of us. And you also say, I don't want to break their wills so that they are afraid to try new things. I want to establish good boundaries and encourage them to reach for the stars. Most importantly, I want them to love God with all their hearts. And that's a, that just summarizes so much of, of what, we're, what we're talking about here. And one of the, I think I maybe told the story before when we did maybe with our parenting episodes with Scott Keith, but with with my kids, there's a quote from Luther, and it's different depending on how it was translated, but it says, um, the law is for the hard-hearted, and the gospel for the proud or the broken-hearted. And I really thought of, of that in my use of law with my children, because we're really good at law with our kids. It's our default. They get lots of law when they need to wake up in the morning, they need to brush their teeth, make their bed, not go outside without permission, you know, so on and so forth. But sometimes... We don't want to throw more law on them when they're crushed and understand that they're, that they're sinners and they've fallen short and they need that gospel really strongly right then. As Scott Keith said in our last episode with him, it's important as parents to know when the law has done its job. And uh, I have just one story of, of many where I looked for opportunities for that with my children and 
one of my sons, he was in fifth grade. This is one of my younger sons. And um, we had a rule in the house. You cannot go and get ice cream without asking mommy first. Because to this day, we if we get ice cream, it's like gone in a day because my boys eat so much. So don't eat the ice cream, you know, without asking first. But I had, for one of the first times, left my older son with one of my younger sons while I went to the grocery store. So the kids had gone to bed at like 8, 8.30. And after 11, um, my son comes downstairs just weeping. And I was sitting in the chair reading. And I said, oh, what's going on? He said, I can't go to sleep until I tell you. I just feel so guilty. I did something wrong. And I said, okay. And he said, I snuck ice cream when you were at the store. And I wasn't supposed to. And I'm so sorry. And... I just took him in my arms and I hugged him and I said, you're forgiven. I love you. Now go to bed. (laughs) Because that was a good, the law had done its job there. He knew he had fallen short of obedience and the law and he needed the gospel right then. He needed a demonstration of grace right then. And we talked about this in our episodes with Scott Keith, if you haven't listened to them, but um, both my my brother-in-law and his dad have actual situations in their own lives when their fathers, when they had done something really bad and they were brokenhearted over their sin and their fathers came in with just grace in the gospel and they will, they both of them will say that's when they understood, really understood God's love for them and, and his forgiveness. One of the things I think about too. That's really it's a really. I was just thinking about the picture of that. That's really encouraging. Um, one of the things that you know, I've tried to impress on my children, that my my parents impressed on me and my brother when we were young, and even through our teen years, is that our love for them is not based on anything they do. Um, I might be disappointed with something they do, but my love for them is not based on what they do or don't do. My love for them is because they are my children, and. I want them to know, just like my parents told me, that there is nothing that they can ever come and tell me that would change that, right? There might be some difficult discussions, there might be difficult things that need to happen, we might need to do something uh, to deal with situations, but they they needed to be able, I want my children to know that they can always come to me and talk to me, and it will not change my love for them. And, you know, that's a it can be hard as a parent not to be frustrated and upset and let that be the first response. You know, when my children broke a pretty dish this last week doing dishes, you know, I had to not fuss and get frustrated because it was a simple mistake. It was really not anything. It was something any of us could have done. And instead of reacting with anger, which I was probably one of my first thoughts it was well you know he's already upset that he did it he knew it he didn't want he didn't want to do it on purpose he wasn't trying to be thoughtless or careless and he was feeling really sad and horrible about it and i told him you know it's okay let's just clean it up things happen that's important to remember because at that moment what he needed to hear from me was you know our relationship is fine everything's okay this, this, you are more important to me than whatever that thing was that broke. That, that's so important. And thinking about our children trusting us, um, you, you know, you're talking about you want your kids to know that they can always come to you. And that was something that um, my husband and I would talk about, that we want our children to know that they can come to us. But one of the reasons they come to us is because they trust that our love for them is unconditional. They trust that there's love and forgiveness with us. And I had a situation where one of my sons did something, you know, as a older teenager that was pretty awful. And, and he came and told me and in tears and weeping. And initially, you know, in me now in tears said, how could you do this? But I realized it wasn't anything at this point that was affecting anyone else or putting anyone in danger or anything like that. But, but then I realized at that he needs he knows what he did was wrong he needs love and forgiveness right now it's a it's a hard balance sometimes it is and one of the things i remember um when i was in college our campus minister and i've talked about him before i really appreciate great guy um learned a lot from him um he and his wife had three small children when we were in college 
And, you know, he would use examples from his life to talk about God and parenting and what it's like to, to be a parent and a father and, you know, relating that to God's love for us. And uh, one of the things I remember, though, is him talking about times when he had to go to his children and tell them, you know, apologize, ask forgiveness from his children for how he'd reacted. I remember thinking, wow, that's really cool, you know, dad going to their kids. And you know, his kids say, no, it's okay, it's okay. He goes, no, you know, it's not okay. You need to, I need you to forgive me, and, and we'll make this right. Um, and I think about the number of times that I've had to go to my kids and say, you know, I'm really sorry. Um, I snapped. I shouldn't have talked that way. And it's really hard to do that and not make excuses for myself, right? And you say, well, it was a rough day. And, I shouldn't have. and my kids will say, oh, well, you know, mom, we know you're stressed. I'm like, no, no. I shouldn't have done it. It was wrong. I'm sorry. I love you. Um, you know, please forgive me. Um, because, you know, which we're talking about teaching them law and gospel, we need to show them that grace and forgiveness um, is a two-way street, right? That just like they need to come to me and ask forgiveness when they've done something, I need to go to them and ask forgiveness. And, and this is where, especially when we're dealing with um, our children, as they get a little older, as if they've if they've professed faith, we are dealing with our children um, as brothers and sisters in Christ with us, not just as parents and children. And you know, there are times I've gone to my, one of my children and said, you know, I'm coming to talk to you right now as your sister in Christ because this is not me as mom trying to tell you what to do, but to encourage you because I've been through this before and I want to encourage you as a Christian on this in this matter. Um. So it's just a, another aspect of the changing relationship as our kids get older. And I think it's good for our kids to know that mom and dad aren't perfect. Mom and dad sin too. Mom and dad struggle with sin just like you struggle with sin. I remember when that dawned on me as a child. Like, I was an older child by the time. I was like, oh, you know, they're not always right. They don't always know. Not that I was questioning them, but it just occurred to me that they too were trying to make the <laughs> make uh, make decisions and... And had their own struggles, and it was very enlightening. Yeah, I actually remember that same thing when I realized <laughs> realized that. Uh, one of the verses that, just as a mom, that I memorized early on, I, I would realize, when my kids were younger, and I would sometimes um, lose my temper, raise my voice at them, and then I was reading through Ephesians one year and Ephesians 4.29 just really stuck out to me. You know, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. And I just thought, okay, when I'm, I'm not really using wholesome words when I'm not having control of the things I'm saying to my children in anger or because I'm annoyed with them and that I needed to be edifying in my interactions with them even if they were wrong it didn't justify me losing my temper or um, getting ang angry in an, in a wrong sort of way so one of the things um, that we hear and unfortunately even in our own circles I think we both know this is to train up you know train up a child in the way they should go and when they're old they will not depart from it and I've seen so often, um, I see this, I saw a conversation on Facebook I was telling Rachel about, and it was a conversation, is this first mean, you know, or I think somebody maybe was asserting, you know, this means that if you train up your child in the way they should go, they're not going to rebel, they're going to grow up to be Christians. And within the conversation, all of the younger parents were agreeing, you know, the parents of two, three, four, five, six, seven-year-olds, and older parents were saying, uh... No, that's not what it means. And uh, and I think that misunderstanding this verse can put a lot of undue pressure on parents. The reality is none of us are going to parent perfectly, you know. Um, and I think we all know people or families where the parents were um, good, godly parents that... Um, you know, took their children to church and taught them the word of God and catechized them and disciplined appropriately and loved them. And, and you have one child that has stayed in the faith and one that has left um, the faith. But I know, Rachel, you've thought a lot about this verse. Maybe you can speak to the right understanding of it. Yeah, that particular verse, especially if you've been in, um, 
in homeschooling circles for very long. That it, it's referred to a lot, lots of of resources and um, conferences and <laughs> homeschooling uh, curricula that all use the verse in various ways. But um, it is a misuse of the verse to say that to take it to mean if you raise your children the right way, then they won't rebel and they won't leave the faith because we just simply don't have that kind of promise. Like that, that is making a prosperity gospel out of a works righteousness out of that verse, that if we do the right things, then God owes us in return and our children you know, will turn out the way we want them to. Like, like it's a formula that we can, if we, as long as we follow the right boxes, we figure out what the right way is, then, um, then we, are, we will earn good, righteous, obedient children. And you know, besides the damage that it does to our children for us to then, you know, crack the whip and try to make sure that they are staying in line so that they will never rebel and they will always be obedient. It puts so much weight and so much guilt then on us as parents if it doesn't turn out right. And when, because we're all going to know that we failed. There's a, a great quote that there's only one perfect parent and he has one perfect son. You know, the rest of us are sinners raising sinners. And we're going to fail. And it, like even for my parents, as much as you know, I look back to all the good things and I had a great raising, uh, a great childhood. My parents are wonderful believers. And, you know, my dad will say that we, that my brother and I turned out well despite their efforts, right? Because the only things that he, or what he sees in, in, in retrospect, are the ways that he could have done better. And that's true for all of us. It's my kids, my oldest will be 17 this summer. Um, I see things that I wish I had done differently in ways I know I've failed my children. Um, so all of us have to remember how our children turn out is whether or not they're believers in particular has, is only God's grace, right? It's only God's work in their hearts, just like it is with us, right? God has to work in us. God has to work in our children if we're to be believers and if we are to, to grow in faith and in grace, and we have to trust our children to God in that way, right? We pray for them, we raise them well, and absolutely, you know, we shouldn't uh, try to hurt, hurt or harm our children. We should try to do our best for them and by them. But all of us are going to look back and go, oh, I wish I'd done that differently. And many of us will have regrets and may also see our children walk away from the faith, maybe permanently maybe for a time. And when we do, we have to trust that God is the one who will bring them back. And it's not that we can do it for God. Yeah, that's such a good reminder. Um, I've been very open about my oldest son leaving the faith. And uh, I've had people look at me or even imply, I wonder what you did wrong. You know, that, that he would leave the faith. And, uh, you know, we interpret Scripture looking at all of Scripture. And one thing we know from all of Scripture is salvation is the Lord's. We can't make our children Christians. Only the Lord can work in their heart and bring them to himself. And uh, when I worked through where my oldest son is, that was one thing that brought me peace because I also know that I might look at him right now and think, you know, based on what he believes now, he's never going to turn to the Lord. But knowing that, uh, that it's the Lord that takes dead men and makes them alive in Christ, that's comforting to me. So um, that, that is not a promise. And if you're struggling with understanding that, you know, understanding what Proverbs is about, it's not a list of promises, it's a wisdom book. And I read some I read some different things about the way that should be translated that were helpful. So it might be good to look in some commentaries, some different commentaries. And I can't think of anything off the top of my head of that I can link, but maybe I'll be able to find something specifically on that verse. Um, yeah, I know I've read some as well. Um Things that re- that are reminders on it, and, and different ways the verse might be um, understood. Um, but I think you're right that the main point is is that the Book of Proverbs is not a 
if you do this, then this will happen, but more of um, general truths, right? Because even with the Proverbs, you have Proverbs that seem to contradict each other, and we have to know that to use wisdom, because there's not contradictions in Scripture, and we have to use wisdom as to what situation they apply to, right? So, you know, it's the Proverbs is not a rule book. It is a, a list of, of wisdom and sayings that are useful and applicable in our lives, and of course they are divinely given, um, but they are not meant to be read in terms of, if you do these right things, then you will earn God's favor. Right. And I know that I read something a while ago that um, on this verse, and it said, one way of understanding it is that things that we teach and train our children as they're growing up, they will keep with them for the rest of their lives, you know, whether it be good habits or a good citizen or all sorts of things. Even, you know, my son that has left the faith still has principles that he learned from um, being raised by us. So um, now we've we've talked about this on the on the uh, confession and catechism episode, but catechizing our children, and you know, I know that the the children's catechism. I think that there's versions in pretty much any tradition that you're in, whether you're in a three forms of unity. Uh, church or uh, in Presbyterian churches, we use a children's catechism that's based on the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And usually those first three questions, you know, my kids, not long after they could talk, could answer those those first three. But this is one way that we train our children in the faith is um, teaching them the catechism and going over verses um, that's part of the catechism and memorizing the catechism in scripture um, so that's one thing we can do. And I know you and I have talked before about things that we've done. I really like I really like what you have done, Rachel, with your kids during the Shorter Catechism and the Heidelberg Catechism, or I guess the Children's and then the Shorter and then the Heidelberg. Yeah. Is that correct? That's right, yeah. Okay. The first thing we did was the Children's Catechism uh, and, and various memory verses uh, from Scripture and then Shorter Catechism, and now my, my older two kids, who are finishing up ninth and 11th grades, um, are working their way through the Heidelberg. And just every week we pick a question I'm going through, and you know I work with them, and by the end of the week they can usually um, give it back, or repeat it back pretty clearly. Uh, to, for the longer ones, especially with Heidelberg, we take a couple weeks on. Um, and they'll remember that forever, too, because mm-hmm. even my non-Christian son remembers the catechism. Yeah, it's interesting because part of the issue now with them doing Heidelberg is that having done both the children's catechism and the shorter catechism, Westminster, there are similarities in places. And so, like, okay, is it the wording this way in this one or is it that way? It's, it's kind of fun to, right. to see some of the differences. But uh, it's been very helpful because then... You know, they've come up on things, and we've talked about other discussions. They're like, oh, yeah, like it says, you know, they can refer to things that they remember. You know, a question that comes up in the group all the time, and uh, I'm kind of curious how you would answer this, um, because you might know your kids are a tad younger than mine, so you might know of things I don't, is a good children's Bible. We, We use the Catherine Voss one. That's just what you know, our church gave us one. It's a, it's an older children's Bible. We, I know that the newer version has pictures of Jesus, um, but the older version that we had did not. But is there any that, that you would recommend for little kids? Um, there is one called, uh, 365 great stories. Hold on. 365 great Bible stories. Um, by Karen uh, McKenzie. Um, there are no pictures of Jesus in it. Um, it's it goes from Genesis through Revelation, and it tells you know it's short summaries of, of chapters of uh, passages of scripture, going through the whole of the Bible. It's very um, it it's the right level to talk to children. But it, it doesn't um, overly simplify or leave out important details. It's one I've, I've really liked. And uh, as far as other books, you know, I don't even, I know that these aren't even easy to get anymore. Uh, maybe it used 
a used bookstore online, but um, when my kids were little, we used um, Susan Hunt book, Discovering Jesus in Genesis and Discovering Jesus in Exodus. And each chapter, it, it follows stories of some little kids. So I'm talking little, little kids that I did this with my kids. And it has the catechism and it has the children's catechism as part of each story. We do those at night. Um, so there are some good things out there. I know there's a lot more than when my kids were young, so I can't really speak to what all's available nowadays, but it's, I see stuff around, so it seems like, you know, there's stuff always coming out. Yeah, there have been several newer ones. I just don't know them as well. Uh, having getting yeah. past that point of, of my own child rearing. Yeah, I know it changes so much. The other thing we did in our house, just as far as training and catechizing, and this kind of is even a, a build into parenting in the pews. And, you know, we had family worship or family devotions, whatever you want to call them. And, you know, every day, my husband works second shift, so we did it in the morning. Some people do it. I know some of my friends do it while they're still sitting at the dinner table and the kids are finishing up. But um, we would sing a sing a hymn or a psalm and my husband or I would read uh, you know something from scripture and do the catechism and pray and sing another song and this this was good for my kids in almost like practice for church you know which we'll get into in 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 just a minute here the other thing is too I think sometimes I see stuff out there that almost sounds it's it's almost a legalistic thing. Every family should do this and should do it this way. But you know what? Every family is different. We've talked about this. And you, your children are different ages. Uh, your situation is different, whether one parent works, two parent works, um, whether you're homeschooling or sending your kids to school. So um, just be wise in navigating what's going to work well for your family as far as... Um, implementing some of these things into your everyday life. So one of the things uh, that obviously since we're Reformed, we're Presbyterians, uh, how we view our children is maybe going to be a little different than Baptists, although I don't see very often a huge difference in practice, but um, we do see our children as part of the covenant community. You know, we um, bring them in. They sit and worship with us. Um, and so, uh, depending on what, what your tradition is, you may differ on some of what we're going to talk about. So, Rachel's written a great article. I'm going to include it in the episode notes because it's really good. It's not real long, but it has some really great points. I'm actually, we're going to go over the points from hers because I couldn't improve on what she'd already done. And boy, this is the, the first one. Anyone who's raised children knows this church is boring, you know, and they may decide this at five years old or 10 or 15, but ugh, it's so boring, you know, right. Right. I'm sure your kids are just really have never done that, but mine. <laughs> yeah. I haven't had it a whole lot from any of them, but all of them have at some point expressed it. Yes. Um, right. Whether you know, outright in words or more just in attitude about things. Yes, you see it. Basically, we need to teach them why we go to church. It's not just, you know, we just want you to have a boring Sunday morning. Right. You know, it's it's interesting, though, because I've seen um, a couple different responses to how to deal with this in, in articles online. And I'm not criticizing either side on this. I'm just, there's a lot of different ways that people approach dealing with, well, church is boring. Um, one way, and I've seen this in several articles, is like, well, it's okay for our kids to be bored. Well, certainly, I'm a homeschooling mom. I do believe that it's okay for my children to be bored. Um, mine have learned never to tell me that they're bored because, you know, if you're bored, I can find work for you, right? But <laughs> right. <laughs> they just don't. But they've also, you know, let, letting them, you know, as far as homeschooling goes and things around the house and your children, those of us who are now homeschooling either intentionally or unintentionally through this current um, situation, uh, you learn that you know it's a good thing for your kids to have to figure stuff out on their own um, and do things. But when we're talking about church, um, I don't think it's necessarily right to say, well, yeah, church is going to be boring. Right? 
I think it's better to teach our children, you know, they don't go there to be entertained, right? It's not the same kind of entertainment as going to a movie or a basketball game, right? But I also don't want to teach our kids that, you know, basically, well, you know, church is broccoli and you're going to eat it if, it's, if you know it's good for you, right? I, I don't want that to be the approach that they take away. But, you know, you do have to teach your kids that church is different from the other things that they're doing. And that, yes, we may not always be the most exciting, thrilling thing to do, but there are things going on around you. And helping them learn to understand what's going on in worship helps them not be bored. Yeah, and at the end, we kind of have some big news we'll talk about, but something that things that we did because we wanted our children to be involved in worship. You know, this is, we call it corporate worship. And our children are part of the corporate covenant community. And so when my kids were young, my husband asked the pastor, how, how far in advance do you plan the services? You know, could, during the week, could you send us, you know, what hymns or if you know one of them? And we would pick one and we would sing that hymn in our home throughout the week. And so in church, my kids were excited. Oh, I know that one, you know. He also, my husband would also, usually, usually the pastor was preaching through a book of the Bible. So um, he would maybe try to have an idea of where the pastor would be and talk about that with the kids through the week. But I made basically little sermon notebooks for my kids from the time they're really young. And, you know, and they're really young, they can't read or anything. They had some colored pencils and draw a picture of something you hear in the sermon. And then learning to listen for words, you know, words maybe they don't know. I know you've talked about that, Rachel, but also words they hear in the sermon. So, Rachel, one of the things in your article is um, learning to love worship. And I think some of the things that I was talking about is one way that we can do that, but... Uh, I think teaching our kids that that we don't go to church just to torment them or for some sort of punishment because we've disappointed God through the week or anything like that, but it is to worship the Lord for what He has done for us. Yeah, I think I say in that article that um, learning to love worship, worship is an acquired taste, right? Um, and, and it is. We, we have to learn what it is to worship the Lord. We have to learn... Um, how to worship and how to be a part of the church service. And, um, you know, I think another thing I say in the article that it's important for us to remember our attitudes towards worship, um, the tr- our children will pick up on that. So if we're singing joyfully, if we are uh, glad to be in worship, if we are praying fervently, if we're attentive, then they're going to pick up on those things. Um, and the biggest thing I, I tried to do with our kids is to bring them alongside us as we worshiped. And that has to be done um, taking into consideration what they can and can't do and what's age appropriate to expect from them. So when you're talking about the little, little guys, right? Um, my littlest little guys were often in nursery because my oldest one loved to make a joyful noise all the time. Um, <laughs> all the time. Sounds like my oldest. <laughs> <laughs> um, he would cry when we came to pick him up from nursery. Um, and I like we don't beat the child. We love him. He loves to be at home, but he loves being around people so much. He doesn't want to leave church. Like we're all leaving now. I'd have to explain to him. Um, he was my only one that wanted to go to nursery. The other two didn't want to. And so I've spent time in cry rooms and outside the service and all sorts of things to help the kids. But when they're old enough to sit with you, um, then you, you do with them, and teach them what they can learn. So the first thing you learn is they can sit when we sit and stand when we stand. Um, they, you can explain the various parts of the service that are going on to the going on, so they understand what we're doing. So now we're going to pray. You know, now we're listening. Uh, now we're going to stand and sing. As they learn to read, uh, they can learn to read along on the hymns, uh, responsive readings. They can read along. They can open their Bibles and read along when there are uh, scripture passages to read. And these are all ways that, that you're incorporating them. So church is not just something that they go to and have to entertain themselves for an hour while it goes on around them, but that they're part of it. They're part of the worship. Um, now, the sermon time is probably the most difficult time because it's very little activity for, for children. Uh, 
what we did, and I think Colleen, you've mentioned some of it, we had little bags that the kids could take with them that had colored pencils or small notebooks, uh, something that they could do with their hands, and they were allowed to color during the sermon. Uh, as they got a little bit older and more able to pay attention to the sermon, I asked them to draw things that were connected to the service. And then, and not just like Star Wars battles, because that was typically what, what drawings were, um, especially when they were little. Um, and then as I got old enough to start taking notes, I'd encourage them to switch over then and take notes during the sermon. And uh, you know, that's where my oldest boys still do. It helps for them, it helps them focus for me too. It helps me focus and pay attention uh, and keep track of what's going on and not let my mind wander. And then after church, you can ask them things like, well, what do you remember? What what was the service sermon about? Just one thing that you remember. Um, what was the Bible passage about? So one of the things we wanted to talk about is discipline in, in the pews. And as we were preparing for this episode, I was thinking, I think everyone has ha- has those memories of the the little child behaving badly in church and the parent, you know, grabbing him to take him out. I was thinking when I was a kid, I remember this, um, this happening and you'd hear the kids screaming, daddy, don't spank me, you know, as as the sermon is going on or my mom did that. They tell the story. My grandfather was like the, the calmest, most peaceful man like you've ever met, just never ruffled, never raised his voice. And she was being a pill and he grabbed her up to take her out of the church and she yelled at the top of her lungs, No, Daddy, don't spank me! Yeah. <laughs> well, what it, we probably should talk a little bit ab- about how to go about it. One of the things I think is so important that we do remember is is age-appropriate expectations. Um, but this is something that kids are going to be learning to sit in in church and... It's not always going to go smoothly, and they're going to get fidgety and and maybe uh, do stuff that they shouldn't. So, what are some ideas that you have, Rachel, for discipline in the pews? Well, I certainly think that you're right about thinking about age-appropriate expectations, right? Babies do baby things, right? They're going to coo, they're going to, you know, babble. They're going to make little baby sounds, and it's okay as long as it's not terribly distracting to everyone around you. I don't think we need to feel bad about our kids being kids in that way, and, you know, they're not going to sit perfectly still, even as toddlers and older kids. Um, As they get older and you can start kind of redirecting them, that's one of the things I think is good. If if one of mine starts asking questions, I'll... I'll have them uh, kind of hush and say, you know, ask me afterwards, or if it's pertinent, I try to answer quietly, you know. But in these ways, we can, um, in redirecting them, we can keep pointing them back to why we're here, right? This is not just about you need to sit still and kind of endure. This is, we're here to worship, so let's talk about, let's look at what's going on. Um, so that's, you know, I, I joke about the fact that my mom, see, my dad was pastor and my mom played piano. So we, my brother and I, generally sat by ourselves. And so we would get the look from either the pulpit or the piano when we were misbehaving. And that was great because, you know, everyone in church saw it. Uh, But um, there are ways to kind of quietly calm your kids down. And, and of course, if they are getting um, to be loud and all of your kids will at one point throw a royal hissy fit that you will have to take them out of church while they scream. Just know we've all been there. Yeah, I think I think that's important. I think even finding what when my husband realized that um, one of our kids, I think our oldest son, he all of a sudden started coming up with excuses for why he needed to leave the sanctuary. So I need to go to the bathroom. I need a drink of water. You know, these sorts of things. The same sorts of things that they do when you're putting them to bed. You know, all the excuses why I I need to do something else. So, uh, so my husband started, and we started this. We did this, you know, our while our kids were young. Um, we implemented this, that every, um, every Sunday before worship, he, all the kids had to go to the bathroom, you know, because we're not going to do this. Oh, I need to go to the bathroom. And even if they said, I can't right now. Well, you're going to try <laughs> because, and all the kids went and got a drink of water. You know, we're going to, I mean, we usually, 
I guess every church is probably different, but we usually would bring a water bottle in, so they couldn't. Um, but f- I think it's important for us as parents to find things like that to do that are going to be helpful for our kids. Yeah, we always have the kids go to the bathroom. I go, too. Yeah. I'll go. Everybody goes before after Sunday school before church. Yes. That way we're all ready to sit. <laughs> And I mean, things happen. You might not be able to, to to hold it. I mean, that's I mean, we're people. We have right. Children have little bladders. Sermons can run long. I mean, I understand. And, yeah. Uh, one of mine. If he sits still long enough, he's going to fall asleep. That's just who he is. Right. right. So, you know, you just have to learn to to kind of roll with the punches. Yeah. These these things happen, and I think one of the things too is I know it can be so easy to um, want your kids to behave because you don't want other people looking at you and judging you and these sorts of things. And I think that's why it's important. One of our, our, our last points on this is to encourage one another. And I think it's so important as, as your kids get older, especially, to when you see that young mom and dad struggling is to encourage them, to remind them, we've been there. You know, everyone here has been there. Uh, that's such a huge encouragement to a young parent who maybe is embarrassed by the way their children are behaving in church or struggling with um, getting them to sit still. Some kids are better at sitting still than others, you know? And and some have a very difficult time. Some One of my children is very antsy, you know? And always has been. And so I think encouraging one another is really important. Maybe, you know, uh, finding ways to offer ideas if somebody's struggling with this. Yeah, I think that's a, a good thing. I, I think it's also helpful at times, especially if you're at the point where your own kids are, are older or not needing as much attention, um, that you can offer, especially like moms with littles little little ones sit with them um you know hold the baby take the baby out for them so they can sit there there are ways that we can encourage each other and and i think the main thing is you know even when we're distracted by the noises around us you know it's better not to turn and look and glare because it just the parents already know they know it's it's distracting and then it just hurts more to have people notice it than it does to have people come up afterwards and say, you're doing a great job. I know it's hard. Yeah. And you know, too, how kids will go through um, different seasons of things, you know? Totally. And so uh, there's just different things that parents are going to go through that you're going to go through, um, you know, and be be patient with yourself, too. Absolutely. So we have something that could be of help. Um, Rachel and I have a huge announcement. Um, Lord willing, uh, what we're about to talk about will be out this week um, or very soon. We're going to be releasing a few things. um, So a series of booklets is what I've thought of calling them. And we have some sermon note notebooks for kids. We're going to have one for younger children. We're going to have one for older children. Um, this is similar to things that Rachel and I have put together for our own children when our kids were young. And um, they're going to be age appropriate for, I think the younger one will probably be good, maybe starting at four years old, even if they can't read, but as they begin to read. Uh, and you can help them with them. And then for older kids. And the, and uh we'll have details in there of what's in each page. And Rachel, maybe you can talk about the other things that the other things we're releasing. Um, We've also put together a a sermon notebook or journal book for adults that has um, um, kind of some guided things that you can write down from from each sermon to keep a record of. And then also just note paper to write on to, to take your notes. I, I love taking notes in the sermon. It helps me focus, but, um, in addition to that, we're putting together some journals um, with a, a Bible reading in a year plan and hoping, hoping to put together some catechism and memory workbooks for our kids as well um, that'll use both the uh, shorter catechism and the, the Heidelberg and some other memory work. Yeah, so the, the Bible reading and one of the adult ones are for adults and then the, 
Um, the others can be for kids. But I think when we get to the catechism um, books, that you know, if you're maybe new to a, a Reformed church and you want to memorize the Shorter Catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, they, these would be appropriate for you too. But Rachel and I have talked a lot about things that we did with our children when they were growing up and kind of took those ideas and put them into these books that that were we have created and are creating and things that you know maybe we put together ourselves before Rachel and I know has something that she's used but we kind of found what we thought would work well um, based on our own experience having each raised uh, several children so um, there'll be information on our web page and I'll put it all over social media too so I guess that is everything uh, we're getting close to the end of our series on the church If we will do a question and answer episode in a couple of weeks if you have any questions from this series um, then feel free to email us at theologygals at gmail.com with those so we will see you next week